You're listening to episode nine. Hey there, Business Generals family. Welcome to another super episode of the Business Generals podcast where I feature amazing guests and I ask in-depth questions about their entrepreneurial journey. You know, my belief is that it doesn't matter how your journey in life started. It's not that important because great or small, the important thing is how you finish. So whatever your situation today, I want you to know that you can get your hopes up, that you are good enough to chase your dreams. In today's show, family, I dig into how it all started for our feature guests, how they have built their brand, and I even get into all the juicy details about their big challenges, their growth moments, and all their big breakthroughs. So it's going to be an amazing show. I actually selfishly started this podcast because I love to hear how entrepreneurs did it, and I wanted to ask the questions for myself. So really, I am the number one student. So Get ready for amazing coaching tips, family, to help you maximize your business dreams. Welcome and thank you for joining me here on the Business Generals Podcast, where I chat with amazing entrepreneurs five days a week. Davis Mutawa here, your host. Super excited to bring you today's feature guest, Ms. Sarah Regalhoof. Sarah, are you ready to share your entrepreneurial story? Sure am. Thank you for having me. Fantastic. Sarah is an award-winning serial entrepreneur and investor in startups, having co-founded eight companies alongside her husband, Finn Kelly. Following several successful exits, she is now currently the CEO of Wealth Enhancers, a Gen Y financial advisory firm, and Grow My Team, a global recruitment firm. Sarah is also a speaker, a blogger, and the author of Get Rich Slow. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome with me Sarah to the show. Sarah, before we talk business, Perhaps take 30 seconds just to tell us a little bit about who Sarah is and a bit about your non-personal business background. Uh, who am I? Well, right now I'm sitting in my home in Colorado and uh, I love to ski. So I live in Beaver Creek in Colorado and that's sort of my passion. In the winter, I love to ski as many days of the year as possible, hence why I moved over here. Um, my entrepreneurial journey started about seven years ago and really it's been a lot about doing the things that I love and that I'm passionate about, but also creating the life that I want to live for myself and my husband, doing it together. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. It's such a big question. I'm not sure what else to say. <laughs> no, that, that's that's great. So you started off your career here in Melbourne? Yes, that's right. Yeah, I started working with my father in our family financial planning business back in, oh, I don't know, when I was like 18, 19 years old. Um, and I did worked with him for about nine years and did a bit of travel in between as well. I spent three years living overseas in uh, Vancouver, Dublin, London, and just traveling in between and working. And um, then eventually I met Finn, my husband, and we decided to start a company together. And that was in 2009. So we went out on our own and started a private wealth management firm. So you've been in business for yourself um, full time for seven years, I guess, since 2009, yeah? Yeah, exactly. Since I think it was the 21st of October 2009, so be around seven years. And um, talk to me about that that process, um, thinking through just starting your own firm. Did you just automatically get that from, I guess, your, your father being in that industry and you just got that 
desire to do the same? Yeah, I think so. To be honest, I think I had a lot of sort of naivety and blind faith, which always does you well as an entrepreneur when you're starting out because you really don't know what you're getting into. Um, I did understand the financial planning profession really well and so had a fair bit of confidence that I could make that work and my husband was an investment specialist and I was more on the strategic financial planning side so we knew we had some really complementary skill sets there and I had a great assistant that was working with me with in my dad's home so I took her with, with me and the three of us kind of went out and off we went. I mean, to be honest, I look back and think, wow, like I did not know what I was getting into. I did not know how hard it would be. I did not know what how it was going to end up. I didn't, I didn't know that, you know, seven years later I would have founded a bunch of companies and gone into totally different fields and all sorts of things. But hey, you know, I think that's, you just kind of go in the beginning without necessarily knowing what you're getting into and the journey, the journey unfolds. Yeah. Now being young, I know you, you, you've branded yourself as a Gen Y um, advisory firm. Um, how was that? Because financial planning is generally for older generation and run by, you know, older generation sort of crew. How did you find yourself jumping in and saying, we're going to start this and we're going to find clients, you know? Yeah, again, a bit of, um, a bit of blind faith, but the, the original company we started was a traditional financial planning company. So it was high net worth retirees and pre-retirees managing portfolios of $2 million plus. And that, so that was, it was pretty, pretty typical. I mean, obviously we had our unique spin on things as we all do as business owners, but it was a more of a traditional model. And I guess about a year or so in, maybe two years in, a lot of our friends started saying, well, you know, do you guys, can you advise us? Can we come and be your clients? And we were like, oh, we don't really have a model for that. Like we, you know, it just wasn't something that was on our radar. But as more and more people started asking, and then we personally had kind of a philosophy and a format that we'd been following to create wealth for ourselves, we thought, well, maybe we should do this. We started looking around and there was no one else in Australia at the time at all. Even now, there's very few firms, but there was definitely no one at the time targeting Gen Y. And so we thought, well, here's an opportunity and let's give it a shot. So we we used the original business to help fund the startup phase of Wealth Enhancers and and just went from there. So we we actually sold the original business last year and um, so that we could focus more fully on Wealth Enhancers because we think it's just such a great opportunity and our our generation is really coming into their own now. You know, we're sort of, I, I'm, I'm 35, I'm the oldest Gen Y technically, so sort of 25 to 35 people are earning good incomes, they're starting to get to that point in their life where they're like, I really need to do something. Like, I've been earning all this money for however many years and where is it? And it's time to get serious. And so it's it's exciting. Yeah. And so it's interesting. I was going to ask you, who is Gen Y? Because I kind of get a little bit confused. I think I'm probably on the bottom end of the, what's the previous one? Is that millennial or Gen X? No, the older one. Um, so you can, you can tell I don't know these things yet. So... <laughs> Gen X or oh, the the younger one? I don't know what they're called. The older one is Gen X, yeah. <laughs> I don't think it really matters and I don't love to put people in boxes, but I, I guess for us, it's roughly right now we're dealing with 25 to 35-year-olds, but we are focused on staying with that generation. So we're not – in 10 years' time, we won't still be dealing with 25 to 35-year-olds. In 10 years' time, we'll be dealing with 35 to 45-year-olds, if that makes sense. So we're going on the journey with our generation because we understand the needs – of our generation. And what's the biggest need that you're finding in that space? 
I think it's balancing what we want now with future planning and what our life will look like in the future. So our generation are very kind of, what's the word, like the instant gratification. Like we know that we can have anything now. We can go and make it happen. And I think that's such an amazing trait of our generation. We've grown up in a really blessed time where we have really, you know, personal challenges aside, if you've grown up in Australia and you're my generation, it's been pretty good. Um, you know that you can, you have all these opportunities in the world. You know that you can create whatever you want and you generally go out and do it. The area where that doesn't work very well is finance, financially with your finances because if instant gratification with finances basically means credit card and that means credit card debt and that means going backwards. So, you know, really for us it's about putting great plans in place and keeping people accountable on an ongoing basis to what their goals and their dreams are for the future and balancing them that with them still having a good lifestyle now because that's very, very important to our generation. We're not we're not the generation that's going to sacrifice everything so that when we're 60 we can be financially free like we're not we want to live now we want to travel we're getting married later we're having kids later if we're having them at all if we're getting married at all for that matter um we're not necessarily buying houses we're we're nomading we're doing all sorts of things that are a little bit different i think than previous generations but it's still really important for us to actually put plans together for the future financially otherwise we won't be able to have this amazing life that we want to have What's the number one go-to um, philosophy or, or framework kind of that you you use to help change people's perspective on that? So we have our whole Get Rich Slow philosophy, which is what I wrote about in my book and what we've built all of our advice on. But I guess it's you know it comes down to a couple of simple things. One is spending less than you earn. So that's like so so simple, but really quite challenging when you have credit cards and you have access to financing so many things these days, it can be pretty easy to get to a point where without realizing it, you're actually spending more every year than what you're bringing in. So really correcting that and the way that we do that is through automation. So automating all of your bank accounts so that you have this set amount that you can spend every week. We call it your personal spending, the set amount that you can spend every week on whatever you want, like cafes, restaurants, going and getting drunk, like whatever it may be. As long as you stick to that level, then all of your other money is going into your investments, your superannuation, your bills, your paying off any debt, like whatever it might be. So that's sort of at the simplest you know, the simple part of what we do. But then obviously like we have a background in private wealth management. We're a full service firm. We do some pretty complex advice in there, particularly for our entrepreneur members um, and some of our professionals that are kind of at that top end of their career. Our sports and entertainment professionals often have pretty complicated structures with trusts and companies. Um, So there's a lot of complexity there that's probably you know, it's very individual and it's a little bit boring for this conversation. But yeah, it really all starts with this automation and just that behavioral change and mindset change, I think, that shift toward, okay, how can I still live a good life now, but how can I make sure that I'm looking after myself for the future? And it's very, very liberating for people to have allocated money set aside for certain things and to get to the that holiday and go, wow, I've got like the $10,000 that I needed for the holiday sitting in the bank account. I don't need to put it on my credit card or anything like that. Um, It's liberating for people to go out and spend a couple of hundred dollars on a night out if they know that everything else is still working because they don't have to feel guilty because that was within their budget and that's okay. Mm -hmm. I love that. Um, Sarah, how do you help people when it comes to paying off debts? 
do you focus them on the high higher interest ones or the smaller debts or how do you approach that? Honestly, it's a balance between the psychology and past behavior of the person and then whatever that, you know, financially best order of repayment is. So the financially the best order of repayment is to pay off the highest interest rate credit card first, for example, if you have five credit cards and and trust me, people do have five credit cards. People have more than that even. (laughs) But yeah, paying off that highest interest rate one first is good. But we also have learned over time to balance the psychology of it. So if you have five credit cards and one of them has a big balance owing like $10,000 or $20,000 and then you've got another one which is like $1,000. Sometimes what we'll do is go, look, let's just clear off that $1,000 one first so that you feel like you have a win. Then we'll move on to the next one and the next one. So it, it sounds a bit strange, but it's, it's the psychology of making progress with your finances, particularly when you're in debt, is super important to keeping people focused and on track. And look, to be honest, if they get out of debt in two years, completely debt-free, and it's cost them an extra few hundred dollars in interest along the way, well, that's a win versus them giving up after three months and going, this is too hard, I'm not making any progress because you're focusing on one of their larger debts. So it's a balance. If you have someone who's really disciplined, then definitely we take that approach of whichever debt is costing you the most, we get that one first. I mean, that's always really the preferred option, but it is a balance. Likewise, you know, we sometimes will start a small savings account or a small investment portfolio on the side while they're still paying down debt. And again, that's something that could be argued you to be, oh no, you should pay off all the debt first. But if that person's not feeling like they're making any kind of progress and they quit, that's losing to me for them versus, you know, us getting them started with a little bit of investment. They start feeling like they're winning, they're progressing, and then we can pay off their credit card as well. So it's, it's very unique and individual to the person, but it's very much a balance of what's best financially and what's also going to actually get them the results. Totally agreed. And I love that, the way you share that. Um, and I want to pivot a little bit here. Um, Tell us what are your core revenue streams across your sort of your business platforms today? Okay, so Wealth Enhancers is our membership fees, if I understand your question correctly. So we charge a monthly membership fee and we have three different services. So we sort of have a get started package and then we have a uh, the We Achieve package, which is our what most of our members are on. And then we have We Advance, which is for those more complex, advanced members. Um, so that's pretty simple. It's just a monthly membership fee, flat fee. We don't take any commissions or anything like that. Um, and then in Grow My Team, which is the recruitment company, um, we just charge a monthly management margin on all of the staff that we manage. So does that answer the question? Yeah, yeah, no, totally. That's great. So, so mainly sort of the membership fees and, um, and then the commission on the, on the other platform. Um, how have you found the two models to work? Different industries, I know, but. Uh, we, we don't charge any commission. Sorry, just to be clear. Did that, did I make that unclear? Uh, on the, um, recruitment side, is that, what do you call that one? Oh, yeah, with Grow My Team. Yeah. We charge a management fee for each staff member. So it's a flat monthly management fee for every staff member that a company hires. Right, okay, and that... On top of their salary. Ongoing, uh, for as long as that person is with that firm? Yep. Okay. Exactly, and we manage them from a HR perspective, uh, manage all of their leave and any performance issues they're having, um, all of that kind of thing. Mm, Okay, that's great. So take me back to when you started your Wealth Enhancers. What were some of those um, challenging moments that that maybe made you feel like you want to quit? It's such a hard question. Like, I feel like being an entrepreneur, really, you get challenged every day, every week. You know, it's just so up and down, and there is so many. I think one of the challenges we had in the early days of Wealth Enhancers was our own hiring. 
um, you know, falling into that trap of hiring people thinking that if I hire this person, that'll be a silver bullet for whatever problem we're currently having in the business um, versus as the entrepreneur going, you know what, I need to fix that problem first, then I can find someone to come in and potentially do the job or whatever needs to be done. Um, that was a big trap that we fell into and I think we wasted a lot of money on hiring the wrong people and it wasn't that they were good or bad, it was just that they weren't right for our firm at that time. We had unrealistic expectations potentially on how they might be able to solve whatever problem it was, you know, whether it's sales or whether it's operational or whether it's anything, marketing. Um, I think you've got to solve it yourself and then bring someone in, um, especially when you're, you're not, we're not a huge, we're not huge companies, you know, we're, we're startups, like we don't have billions of dollars to go and hire the best ever in the world to do this particular function in the business. As entrepreneurs, really in the early few years, we need to fill those gaps ourselves and then once we know how to do it and what needs to be done, finding the right person to come in and take on that role. I think too often what we did was not have that area of the business properly sorted out and then just want to hire someone to go in and they need to solve all of those problems and that's really not setting someone up for success. It's setting them up for a struggle and nine times out of ten, you know, it's it's not going to work. So I think that was one thing. Um, I think we had some challenges in the early days with not quite having the product right. So we focused a lot on the early engagement and how we brought people, new members into the business, but we didn't focus enough on the ongoing service that we would provide. This is sort of in year one, I would say. And then we quickly realized, well, we need to make sure that we're providing a quality ongoing service. So that was a problem that we needed to solve, which I think is okay. You know, as entrepreneurs, you do need to iterate as you go, but we probably caused ourselves a little bit of pain during that period where people weren't necessarily that happy because they weren't getting the ongoing service that they provided. And, you know, it's very rewarding now to see the feedback that we get now from our members saying, gosh, this is amazing. We get nines and tens constantly after our coaching sessions to say like how important we are in their lives and how much we're helping them get to where they're going. So that's, you know, very, very rewarding to be at that point after in that first year or year and a half having a bit of like, oh, guys, like, can you help me a bit more? I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> so like I said, there's just constant challenges all the time. What about um, how did you acquire your first client? I know you were coming out of, um, you know, the background of your father's practice, so maybe that was slightly different. But how did you get that first client in the door with your new business? Our very first client for Wealth Enhancers was actually Andrew and Elise Swallow. Um, they're two of my best friends, so I just remember it vividly. Andrew had actually contacted us about doing some potential work experience with us. So we met up with them and um, had a bit of a chat. And when we were talking through sort of what we do and what our vision was, particularly for the Gen Y side, they were like, oh, we actually need that. Forget about the work experience. Can we like come on board as a, as a member? And so, yeah, they were our first ever member. And Andrew did end up doing work experience with us and working with us for a couple of years in the end. But, um, yeah, so I, I remember it quite vividly because it was kind of that time and all these people had been asking us and then we started chatting and we had this first person who just said, we need that. Can we please do that? And so we were away. That was basically it. And Sarah, what was your growth and marketing strategy at the start? Growth and marketing at the start, I mean, it was all basically word of mouth. So really just that one-on-one, us going out and talking to the people who had expressed interest, um, getting the people who had who did come on board as members to refer their friends. It was very very based on relationships and networking and who we knew. Really, we relied on word of mouth and referrals probably for a good two years. Right. 
Does this mean a lot of coffee catch-ups and networking meetings? A lot, yeah. And it wasn't the most effective strategy, but at the same time, we were trying to build our brand and we were trying to market to a group of people who weren't really actively looking for what we did, so we had to really educate them. So on the flip side, on the brand building side, you know, we did a lot of education and a lot of free events, where we, which we still do a lot of this stuff, obviously, um, just providing a lot of value for free just so that we could start to build our brand and get our generation comfortable with who we are and what we're trying to do and why looking at your personal finance is important, why financial financial planning is important for us. So we had like these makeover your finances events that we used to run for women. Um, so it was all very much yeah brand building at the same time as doing that personal one-on-one networking. Now, you know, we're in a different position where obviously we still do the networking. We get a lot of referrals. That's a really big way that we grow. But our social media, our community within our social media and our email newsletters and all that is, is huge now. So that's really how we get all of our um, members now, that on referrals, which is great. Fear of failure holds a lot of people back. Um, how, how did you navigate across that fear of, you know, maybe I'm just going to go and work for the big four bank or something like that just to keep a good salary or I don't know whether you had any of those moments, but how do you navigate across the fear? Yeah, I have no good answer for that because I never wanted to work for a big company. So I guess I'm, you know, not really going to shed much light on that for people who are either working for a big company or that's kind of their career path. It was never really a thing I wanted to do. I worked in my family business from early on. I saw the benefits of working for yourself. I understood the financial planning industry, as I said. I don't know. I've never really had a massive fear of failure. Like, if anything, for me, trying to learn how can I push myself to greater success? How can I fulfill more of my potential? I think sometimes I hold myself back by limiting beliefs of where I could go and where I could take things because I've never done it before. You know, everything I'm doing is uncharted territory for me. So it's not so much about failing. It's more about how do I expand my mind and who I am as a person and who I am as the leader to take it to the next level. That's probably my constant battle over the fear of failure. I, I don't know. It's a, it's a tough one because obviously it's enticing to have that regular paycheck and all that, but it's not something I've ever really, no, I don't want to work for someone else. I've just never, I've never had that in me. And I also think if you do look after your own personal finances, which I have, thankfully, that probably has really helped because I haven't had to worry. I'm not saying I've like always had heaps of money, but I haven't sort of, when we started our business, we had a little bit of savings. So at least we had something to fall back on. I think financial pressure can be huge if you don't have your personal finances sorted. So one thing would be, like, if you are working for someone else and thinking about making that leap, like, just do the right thing and save a lot, save as much of your money as you can so that when you take the leap, you don't have that financial pressure, that enticement to go back to the security. Fantastic. Kate, tell me, what was um, your biggest breakthrough moment in, in your financial planning business? My answer will probably be a bit weird in this one as well. Um, I lost my dad three years ago, so he passed away at home. He fell down the stairs and had an accident and, yeah, he he passed away. So that was actually my biggest moment and I'm not sure, yeah, I'm not sure if that's really what you meant in your question, but I think that put into perspective all of the challenges and all of the different things that we've gone through in the years that just made me go, well, none of it really matters. Like at the end of the day, if we're happy and healthy and alive, that's what's important. Um, so losing my dad was a big wake-up call for me in terms of how I was living and how I was working and how I really wanted my life to be. I guess it's true what people say to a degree. You do 
kind of, I don't think it happens all in one moment, but you do start to over time assess how you're living and how you want your life to be. So that was really a breakthrough because as a result, we ended up extracting ourselves from the business as the in there every day, micromanaging everything that was happening to working more remotely, more flexibly. We built a fully remote team. We built a fully remote team and changed the way the company was operating. We moved to an outcomes-led organization, um, started thinking differently about things like how we acquire like our marketing and how we acquire our customers. And as a result, the business has grown, the business flourishes without us micromanaging um, and we have a better lifestyle and our team have a better lifestyle. So it's, it's probably unexpected, but that's sort of what, what happened and the business really grew from there as well. Totally, and appreciate you sharing that. I, um, I totally understand. I lost my dad about 12 years ago, so it is a big life-changing moment and you kind of never get, get over it, right? So thanks for sharing that. And tell me, why did you decide to start a completely different um, business in the more recent times around your recruitment firm? Yeah, well, basically, actually, that's quite a good segue into it because it started when we started building our remote team. So I had some friends who had some staff in the Philippines and I asked them and they sort of helped me get started finding some staff and I thought, wow, this is like it really changed our business. It really transformed how we were operating, um, saved us a lot of money because often we can, Australia is, you know, an expensive country and in terms of minimum wage and not even minimum wage, we're just, you know, paying wages to staff. It's, it's really hard for small businesses to get ahead and um, it really transformed the level of service we were able to provide for our people because we could have three or four admin support for what would have been one in Australia, for example. <clears throat> I could employ a digital marketing assistant to help me with all the marketing. And so I thought, oh, my God, I just really became passionate about it. I also saw the change that it made in our company culture and that we were able to move to this outcome-based culture and this um, flexible, you know, people started really taking ownership of their role because they were given the flexibility to work from home and work remotely. Then they were opened up to new cultures. We have people in our team in South Africa, Bolivia, US, Australia, Philippines, Vietnam. So it really, you know, opens up all of these people to all of these other different people in the world and connects them. And it's incredible um, what it's done for our culture. And I thought, oh my gosh, I want other people to be able to access this. So I had to think about a business model and what would work. And I had some good staff that I could kind of get to help me get it started. And, and off we went. So I've never really built a recruitment business before, but I thought that the model I had come up with would work. We tested it out with a few early clients and they loved it and um, just hired actual recruitment professionals to help us get it going. And it's going really, really well now. So we're two years in and um, we just clocked over 100 staff working for different country, different companies sorry, around the world. That's so good. Mm-hmm. Well, congratulations on that. I know it's, um, it's totally difficult. I've got a got a mate of mine who's based in the Philippines running an accounting back office firm there for um, specialized accounting sort of work here in Australia and I know they've, they've been at it for a while and um, it's uh, it's not always an easy path but um, I guess it, it is rewarding and it does provide that ability to help other firms or other companies who are looking for that um, as an option. Totally and there are so many different models out there I think like the model where they're all 
located in one office in another country and then our model is they're all working from home and then you also have your Upwork and your freelancer where you can just go online and find someone to just do you know, a short-term job for you, just design something or build something, whatever you might need. And I just think it's great. It's really opening up the workplace to – I mean, the thing I love about it is it's providing opportunities to people all over the world to find employment. That's probably what I love about it. Now, I think in the, in the beginning I saw the opportunity for companies, but now I just feel really good about the fact that I've employed all these people. <laughs> I feel like that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Um, help me understand, how do you get clarity around the business idea? Because um, you're coming from a financial planning background. I know you've done other businesses, like, you know, the Women of, um, the Legendary Women League, is that what you call it? The League of Extraordinary Women, yep. League of Extraordinary Women and other business projects. But, you know, you're pivoting into a totally new space. You've never done it before. How do you get clarity around, yep, this is what I want to spend um, my limited time investing um, money and time into? Yeah, first of all, word of warning, I would say don't always try to follow my path. It has been very challenging to try and do more than one business at once. And a lot of people tried to tell me, don't do that, Sarah, you won't achieve success. And I was very stubborn. And I sort of, I get it a lot more now. Like it's, it's kind of easy when your businesses are all small to manage a bunch of stuff. But then once they start growing, you realize like, oh my gosh, this is getting really, really challenging. So we've really wound back our interest in different businesses and the input we're having. That aside, um, I would say I get a lot of, I have a lot of business ideas. I mean, most entrepreneurs you speak to probably are the same. You know, we have a lot of different thoughts about what could work and, you know, all of these different things. So the first thing I do is I usually see how obsessed I am with that idea. So how much am I thinking about it? How much does it keep popping up? I mean, I've had ideas that I thought about for a week once a couple of years ago and you know what, I never thought about them again. So clearly it probably wasn't worth pursuing because I probably didn't have the passion. I have other business ideas that I've been thinking about for years that are still in my mind that I think I am going to do that one day, but I know now that I don't have the time. I'm getting better at learning to focus. So I think that's the first thing for me is really letting myself think about it for long enough that I can see that I really care about it and passionate about it. Um, And then I start to think, I try to think inside out the business model, like all of the different ways that it could work, the challenges. Um, You know, I do basic financials. I don't do anything crazy. I have a financial background, but, you know, some of the models that people put together, I'm like, wow, that's amazing. But you know what? None of it's ever going to come true because whatever you think about your business is never going to be the way it actually plays out. So, you know, I'm very much about keep it simple. Um, I think you can do financial models that just give you an idea of when this comes to fruition to how I want it, is it actually profitable? And that's really what you want to know. Um, you don't want to get two years down the track and go, oh, this actually just doesn't work. Like it's physically impossible to make it profitable. I, I should have, I should have looked at that. Like, so, I mean, that's really the first thing is like, is it actually a commercially viable business and what does it look like when you get it to wherever it is that you think it can go? Um, I think looking at then what's it going to take to get there because it always takes more than you think it does. Um, and it always takes a lot out of you personally. So I think that's something to really consider is that you you need to have the energy and the passion and the desire to get through. Um, you know, I think it, I think statistically it's something like five to seven years is really where businesses start to kind of start to come into their own and not be as difficult in terms of just getting the cash flow right and all that sort of thing. Financial struggles for most businesses are the biggest challenge in the early stages. Um, and I think that sometimes with the hype of companies that seemingly skyrocket overnight, I mean, most of the time you look into them and it wasn't overnight, but there's a lot of hype around that. And I 
think people feel like they're going to be able to get success within a year or two and then they start wanting to give up. They're like, oh, I'm not getting enough traction. But realistically, it takes, you know, five to seven years, you know, even up to 10 years before the business is really going to be where you want it to be. So you have to think about it at the start. Do I have the energy to see this thing through for the next 10 years, five to 10 years? I mean, there are not that many businesses in the grand scheme of things that sell within a couple of years for $50 million or whatever we hear about. That's a very, very, very rare. And I think the statistics is 90% of them fail. So, you know, you've got to say to yourself, do I have the guts and the tenacity and the passion and desire and everything that it's going to take for me to not be one of those statistics and for me to keep going and be able to get it to that point? And, you know, I don't say that to discourage people, but I think that's I'm much more um, critical when I at myself when I come up with these ideas and things now because I'm like, well, that's all really fun in idea stage and it sounds like a really great opportunity, but do you personally have what it takes to get it there? Um, and that's the big question. So, you know, now I'm squarely focused on wealth enhancers and grow my team, and I will not be taking anything else on um, for at least the next five years, at least. Um, you know, wealth enhancers is four and a bit years old. It's coming, really starting to come into a great time, and I do not want to distract myself with, you know, other things now. Um, grow my team's two years old. It's showing a lot of early promise. It's the best business I've ever started in terms of the traction that it's gotten early on um, I just want to be able to give those and I've got a great I've got great general managers in both companies that support me and are so incredible I want to be able to give those businesses everything they need to make them successful and so that's me for five years and I need to be okay with that you know what I mean <laughs> so I think that's something for people to think about is it's, it's not just clarity on the idea and the business model but it's also on your own personal energy to get it where you want to get it to so I like what you say there Sarah you, you... Do not want to allow yourself to to get distracted, um, which yeah. which is an intentional statement, an intentional way of living. To to know that you will you can get distracted and lose focus, and that could throw everything you've been trying to build um, over the last couple of years down the drain. So, how do you manage that? Are you sort of on a daily mission to have certain goals, or you just kind of reaffirm to yourself every day, you know, don't get distracted, keep 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 pushing ahead, etc. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, it's intentional, and I think it does start with every day. So every morning, I do like my positivity routine with my husband. We both do it together, where we we spend ten minutes thinking positive thoughts and visualizing, and you know, thinking about what we're grateful for and what we're working toward. We spend ten minutes reading positive literature, like a personal or business development book, and then we spend ten minutes journaling and writing down what we're grateful for and things like that. I think you know, setting yourself up in that way each day is really important and, and particularly the gratitude and also the visualization. So the visualization is about, you know, where we want to be, whatever it is that we're working on at the moment or our lifestyle. But I think there's also, you know, I do quarterly planning with my team and we set what we're working on for that quarter and what we're trying to achieve. And I stick that up on my wall in my office. I also put my affirmations and things I'm trying to achieve. So I'm always looking at that stuff and keeping myself on task. And I think also it just comes down to having that conversation with yourself when an opportunity arises and being realistic about assessing whether or not that fits in with those bigger picture plans that you're working on. Um, you know, as an entrepreneur, opportunities are coming all the time. People will contact you with ideas and things in the early stages of your business, like you're chasing down different things that look like opportunities that are often just distractions. I think I've just become a lot more brutal at saying, well, really what's in it for me? How is it actually going to get me to where I'm trying to go? And I don't mean that in a way that I wouldn't give away my time to help people or mentor or anything like that. You know, there's just so 
many things that we could go and spend time on, but how is it actually getting us to where we want? Because we're not serving the world if we don't bring our idea, our, our true passion, what we're trying to get out there. We know it's going to be amazing. And we're not serving the world if we don't bring it because we're so busy running around chasing shiny objects. Like we need to get what we're trying to do out there for people to benefit. And so, you know, you just got to have that talk to yourself. Like, stop it. <laughs> no, you're not doing that. Yeah, I think that's that's really important. And uh, I was just having another chat with somebody else before, and um, you know, she was saying before she launches any business product or any any new company or whatever, she she focuses on wanting to understand: um, am I am I excited about this? Forget about whether I'm going to help a million people, but am I am I pumped about it? And I think it's, it resonates with what you're saying. Totally, totally. I mean, I think there's yeah, there's always that commercial aspect, but really you've got to bring it. Like, I think there's a misconception out there that if you come up with a brilliant idea, you've hit the jackpot. No, that's not it at all. Like, look how many people are trying to do some of the brilliant ideas that are out there. I mean, you you look at Uber, for example, that's obviously one of the companies of the moment where we're all going, oh my God, it's amazing. There are so many companies that are trying, did try, tried probably before Uber to do what they've done, but for some reason it didn't quite work. So it wasn't the idea, it was everything, you know, that big melting pot of passion and strategy and the right people and the right timing and there's so much. Um, but I think your passion as a founder and your energy and motivation um, is probably the most important thing. I mean, there are people making money in businesses going, oh, my, I just go, wow, people actually buy that? <laughs> but they do, you know. If, if you're passionate enough about something and you push hard enough, you know, it'll probably work in some way. <laughs> yeah, it's a very interesting model, Uber. I've actually been doing a little bit of Ubering around while I'm, I'm in between work and doing my different consulting gigs, and I just marvel and I observe how they build their model. And um, and right now they've moved into food delivery. I'm not sure whether that's happening where you guys are, but um, here in Melbourne it's getting big. And uh, it, it's the idea of if you've got the platform, you've got the the traffic, then you can sort of sit back and work out what other service can I offer to to the people that I've already got that is congruent to my vision and my passion. Exactly. And I think one thing with Uber is that they didn't get distracted with that stuff too early. You know, they really locked down their market before they went into these other areas. Technology-wise, they probably always, or probably for a long time, I should say, roughly had the ability to go into these different markets. Um, and that, like, if you're in New York City, there's so many different Uber options. I don't even know which one to pick when I'm just trying to book an Uber now. <laughs> but, you know, they probably often had the technology for a long time, but they were very focused on locking down their market and getting enough people using it, and then only then did they roll out some of these new additions. And I think that's something that's really important, that often as young businesses we get distracted because we go, oh, we can do this, so we can just apply it to something else. But we haven't even locked down the initial market. We haven't even you know, fully built that offering out. We start to confuse people with what our brand really is when our brand isn't fully understood yet. I mean, one of the things... That I was at a branding workshop at, um, I'm doing the Entrepreneurial Masters program at MIT at the moment, and I think the, the, the one of the statements they said was, like, basically everyone is confused about your brand, you just don't realize it. <laughs> and they asked everyone in the class, oh, whose wife, significant other, husband, best friend, cousin, whatever, probably doesn't really understand your business that well. And nearly the whole class put their hand out. Everyone could think of someone who just doesn't really understand what they do that flows mm-hmm. to them. And they're like, well, if your significant person doesn't understand your business and you live with them or you talk to them all the time, like, what do you think your target market thinks? 
And I think it was a really good point. Like we all know our businesses so well. One of the biggest challenges for us as entrepreneurs is to get our target market to understand exactly what we do and why they need it and why they, you know, want it. Um, and so, you know, you've got to focus on that early on and get that right and get everyone really understanding what you're doing, buying what you're doing, part of it, you've got your tribe, you've got your community, then you can start looking at, well, how can we add on to this and make it better, if it's appropriate. I mean, sometimes you wouldn't even do that. You just keep doing what you're doing because it's working. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How did you narrow down your target market for your um, your new recruitment firm? Um, I guess for Grow My Team, <clears throat> our target market is, is really small to medium businesses. So it's businesses that are at that point where they're struggling a little bit to grow, to manage the cost of growth, I should say. So they're struggling a bit to manage the cost of growth. They're businesses that are, that are like, oh, I'd love to put on a new marketing person or a new admin person or a new paralegal or whatever it might be, but they're like, ah, oh, it's such a big salary, I'm just not sure, you know, and just they're, they're at that point where they're just going, oh, I'm not sure, and we can come in and say, well, instead of spending, you know, 70 grand a year, why don't you spend, I don't know, 15 and, and get a great assistant to help you do whatever it is that, that that role is and go from there. And then maybe you can add another one and you can probably add three or four before you've even covered that salary that you've been stressing over for the last few months. So it's really businesses that are probably between five and ten employees who are really starting to look to expand and grow and provide a better service or whatever it might be to their customer base and we can help them build out that team. The other thing I think they're looking for is access to global talent pools. So it depends on where you're living but and what city you're based in, but your talent pool might not be that big, but your customers might be overseas or your customers could be anywhere um, and you may not be able to find the talent that you need in that local area. So that's another aspect of it. You know, it's not always about low-cost labor. It might be more about if you're selling something online globally, you need to think about, well, how does marketing vary in Australia to other parts of the world? Do I need someone from another part of the world to help me get the message across in that area? It could, it could be anything, really. Sort of the small to medium businesses, although in the last couple of months we've started seeing bigger like law firms, transcription companies who are coming to us and now saying, well, I want to outsource, like I want to staff up a whole kind of function of the business. Um, we need 10 of them or 20 of them or 100 of them or whatever it might be. So it's starting to shift a little. So for Grow My Team, it's been, it started off very defined on that entrepreneur and where they were at in their journey. And now it's starting to expand out by demand. But it's something that we're monitoring really closely because sometimes as you go into these different markets, you can also determine that that's a distraction because it might be costing you more to try to give them what they want versus just sticking with what you're really good at. So it's something that we're monitoring on an ongoing basis at the moment. I want to ask you this. What, what, what was the first couple of things you put in place um, as you were launching Grow My Team? Was it, did you, you know, focus on social media? Did you build a website? Did you you know, find an email list to, to put together? What, what did you put together first for somebody who's trying to do something similar? What are they thinking now? Well, the first thing I always try to do in any business really is get a customer because that really tells you whether or not people actually want to buy what you think you want to sell. So with Grow My Team, I had um, a recruitment manager and I just started talking to a couple of people about it and just started hiring for them. And then once we knew that people were interested, then we built a really quick website, chucked up some social media stuff, 
and really just focused on that initial few customers and getting referrals and growing that way. Um, Wealth Enhancers, again, like kind of the same. We got that first customer. We didn't have a separate website for that business at that stage. We launched it within the other business, within the private wealth management firm. And then it wasn't until we had a handful of customers that we said, okay, yep, this is going to work. And then, so that's my first thing is, can you get customers? Can you get people buying it? Um, but I would say these days, getting your website and social media up, you don't have much excuse not to do it pretty quickly, unless you're building something that is the whole technology is the website, you know, like Uber or something. That's a bit different. But if we're talking about any other business, it's pretty easy to get, even if you're selling something online, you've got Shopify, um, Squarespace, all these amazing platforms where you can quickly pull together websites and templates. And obviously, we all really know how to use social media these days. So that would be the things. Um, And then probably having... If you can, your right hand, your one staff member who can just help you execute on all the little things and keep you on track as that bigger picture visionary to, you'll probably be doing a lot of sales as an entrepreneur. So if you've got someone that can just help you from an admin perspective, um, administer all that, I wouldn't start anything without a second these days, I don't think. I've actually, I was actually talking to somebody, they've got a technology platform here in Melbourne and um, a couple of the people from here in Australia have moved to, I think, around, I think in Cambodia and they're on a, on a, <clears throat> on a much lower pay but living a great lifestyle. And they were saying to me they've actually hired people like from the US who are based down there but paying them you know, a, a fraction of what they would be paid if they were living in a higher, a higher economy, sort of a higher lifestyle um, city. Um, do you find that you have, you've got people who are doing that and that you're putting onto your books as well? Yep, exactly. So we pay a fair wage in the local, wherever they live in the country that they live in. And I think it's great, you know, you're paying someone to live a great life where they live. Um, you know, obviously you don't want to go overboard, but you want to pay a fair wage. So you don't want to be exploiting anyone. You also don't want to be getting taken advantage of because there are traps um, if you pay too much. I've seen it happen where you'll have a staff member who gets that money and then they outsource it themselves to someone else in the country. Um, unbelievably, being involved in this industry, I've seen so many different little scams going on around the place. So you do have to be a little bit careful, but I think just doing your research and paying a fair wage um, in that in that country and for those skills. I mean, we have some staff that move around, so they've moved from one country to another and you know, sometimes we'll have a chat if they're moving to a country where it's going to be a lot more expensive, but a lot of the time you just negotiate it based on that person in the beginning, their skills, their experience and, and what their salary expectations are. But I think that's the great thing these days is having access to all of this talent. You know, if you are starting a company, think about getting a virtual assistant that can just help you and it probably won't cost you very much. If you build that into your first year forecast, I mean, what you pay for it will probably return in leaps and bounds on your productivity and what you're actually able to get out there and get done. I think I've, you're probably the first person that I've heard share that, and I think that's a very valuable thought for, for somebody who, who can manage to, to afford that or build it in as they're getting ready to get that virtual assistant to help you with all the bits and bobs that you need to organize while you're getting growth traction, while you're doing all the sales calls. I think that's really good advice. And it's such an exciting opportunity for that person as well, you know, to be on that very start of the journey with you. Um, we started We Love Numbers with a girl, Michelle, who's based in the Philippines, who's worked with us for three years. She was our 
internal accountant and then we said, okay, we want to launch this company and blah, blah, blah. And then she came on board and she was the first one and she basically helped us from all of the management perspective behind the scenes because she knew exactly what we were trying to do. And it's been an exciting journey for her because she's been there right from day one seeing the company grow. So, you know, it's also a really great opportunity for someone to get involved early and be with you on that journey and really get to know you and help you as you grow. Yeah. I want to shift a little bit here. So um, as we come to a a wrap-up of the show, um, I want to ask you this question. I don't know whether you rank any of these at all, but if you do, let me know. Faith, fun, family, finances, and friendships. Which which ones do you kind of put higher than the others? I would say family or friendships. Like like my husband basically is my number one, um, so he's my family. <laughs> um, I would say finances because finances allow you to do everything that you need to do that you want to do. It's hard to say. I mean, I have faith as well. I'm not a Christian. I don't have Christian faith, but I have my spirituality that's very important to me. Um, And then fun is important as well. I think they're all important. No, that's good. That's good. That's a really bad answer. No, trust me. That's pretty standard. (laughs) I think it's all important. My husband is my number one, though. He really is. And then money, when I say finances, like it's only important to me because it gives me the life that I want. I don't really actually care about money or chase money. I just I just keep in control of it because it gives me the lifestyle that I want and the opportunities that I have. So it's kind of a hard one because it's kind of not important, but at the same time, it, it's the way the world works. So we have to have it under control if we want our lives to be the way we want them to be. Totally agreed. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Sarah, a 30-second look into a day in your life now versus a day in your life when you started your business. Okay. A day in the life when I started my business would have been wake up at 5.30, straight out for a run with my friends, have coffee, straight back to the office, shower at the office, start working, work all day, probably have any number of meetings from five upwards. Um, and then work late into the night and then go home and eat a late dinner and go to bed and do it again the next day. That would have been day in the life for many years. Now, I still wake up pretty early because I've always been an early riser, do my positivity. I usually then go up and do a little bit of work for a couple of hours and just check in on when it what because I'm in the US, what's been coming through overnight, clear all that out. Usually do one big focused project. So at the start of my week, I plan out the six things that I want to achieve that week, so I'll knock one of them off. Then I will go out for a run or a ski if it's winter. Uh, maybe go have a coffee in my favorite coffee shop and hang out for a while. Maybe go for a hike. Um, if I have friends in town, which happens a lot when you live in, in Colorado, I might hang out with them for a bit. Um, and then I usually have my meetings with my team in the afternoon. So I have around three or four hours of meetings and then chill out. So I do still have my 12-plus hour working days, and I also sometimes have days where I don't work at all, but it's a lot more mixed up now. It's not sort of the constant 12-hour days. Mm, good. Um, Sarah, do you invest in mentors? And if yes, who are those for you and why do you still do that? Yes, uh, my mentor is David Plush. He's based out of Melbourne. Um, there's also another woman that I talk to a lot here in Colorado. Um, my mentoring relationships, I, I also have a lot of other just entrepreneur friends. I mean, entrepreneurs organization, EO, so we have forum. Um, so a lot of that peer-to-peer kind of mentoring. Um, 
most of my those relationships for me are pretty informal, other than EO forum, which is once a month. But I am I just think it's really really important to have people that you can go to during times of challenge, people that will always be there for you and will make the time and support you. People not not only times of challenge, but maybe when you're just thinking that you want to think more strategically, you want to do something. Um, you want to have a conversation with a mentor. I also have a coach who helps me work through my limiting beliefs and get me to that next level, which I meet with her every month. But, um, I mean, EO is a significant cost to me every year financially, but it is, it always is just, it's so worth it. It's like the most amazing community of people all over the world. I can't speak more highly of surrounding yourself with the right people, mentors, coaches and peers who will help you and be there for you no matter what because this journey is a tough one. Um, you know, for all the highs, there are so many lows. The entrepreneur you ask will tell you that it's a roller coaster and you just need that. You need that support around you of people who understand you and know what you're going through. Yeah. So just briefly, tell us a little bit about EO and what who is that? targeted for? Entrepreneurs Organization. It started in the US. I think there's around 11,000 members worldwide now and over 100 chapters. So they're in different cities all around the world. It's all member run. So it's 100% basically like a volunteer organization with a board in each chapter and member run. Um, To qualify, you need to have a million dollars US turnover each year in your company. And there's a few other qualifying criteria and you need to be approved by the board and by that local chapter and all of that kind of thing. It's basically 40% business, 30% family and 30% personal. So it's really about a holistic, your holistic self and holistic development. And just because you have an amazing business, if you're depressed or miserable or your relationship is failing, then that's not really success. And likewise, your business could be failing, but you've got everything else amazing. Well, that's not success either. It's all about trying to better yourself across all of those three areas. And yeah, I just love it. It's been an amazing community of people and an amazing support for me over the years. Mm, that's good to hear. Um, so what's the Two books that are must-reads for entrepreneurs in your mind. There's a book called um, Build to Sell or Built to Sell. That's actually a really good one, particularly for people who found themselves in a business where they kind of went into business because it was their profession, like originally I did as a financial planner going into financial planning. It talks about how you make sure your business is actually a business that has saleable value. And I think that's really important whether you actually do or don't sell a business. I just think that... Um, Having something that's not so 100% reliant on you and actually can have stuff that can run it, and that's what that is. That book talks all about, and it's kind of cool because it's a story, but it's about business. And then Jim Collins from Good to Great is another really good book. There are so many, though. I mean, um, what's the best way for people to connect with you, Sarah? Uh, pretty easy to find. Um, if you Google me, you'll find me. So on my companies, you can reach out to me via email or obviously LinkedIn or Twitter. Um, yeah, Instagram. That's probably where I'm mainly at, posting photos of my life in Colorado. <laughs> but yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, And appreciate your time. So before I you know, ask my uh, last question, I just want to totally appreciate your time for everything that you've uh, done for our community here at Business Generals. And um you know, for opening up and sharing your story and uh, all the dreams that you're chasing are helping others to chase theirs. So um, really grateful for that and want to just thank you for that. Oh, thank you. Anytime. Absolutely. And um, now for the last question, Sarah, when all is said and done, and you've kind of alluded to this before, um, what legacy do you want to leave and be remembered for and tell us why? 
Um, my legacy, I think, would be I've always wanted to show other people that you can live whatever life you want to live. Um, you know, I, I think I want to do that by my own example. I, I want my life to be filled with experiences and living in different parts of the world and meeting different people and starting different businesses and just having all of these different experiences that constantly challenge me to grow and change and evolve as a person. And I want to show other people that anything in life is possible. You know, I went to a state school in Brisbane in Queensland. No one had any real hope for me of what I might be able to do with my life, but I did some cool stuff. So I just want to be able to show other people that anything you want is possible. And, you know, my businesses have always really been in line with that. Financial planning obviously helps people from that perspective and um, grow my team. I love helping entrepreneurs grow so that they can have a life that they want, their lifestyle that they want. That's really what it's all about for me is just for my life, having all these amazing experiences and then just inspiring and showing others that they too can have any experience that they want. Totally appreciate it. And um, I'm a firm believer that as we do what we're called to do, we give others permission to, to feel that they can also do that. So um, so appreciate your time and for sharing. So um, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for hanging out with me and Sarah today. Hope you had as much fun as I did. But more importantly, I said my hope is that you can get your hopes up that you also are good enough to chase your dreams. And um, remember to head on over to businessjournals.com for all the show notes and just type in Sarah in the search bar and uh, her show notes will pop up with everything we talked about today. That's at businessjournals.com. And uh, yeah, we can reach out to Sarah on um, you know all the social media platforms or um, leave at your website, Sarah, sarahrigelhood.com. Um, Sarah, thank you so much for being on the Business Journals podcast today and for sharing your story with us. For that, we're very grateful. You are a true business general. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I loved it. Hey, what's up, Business Journals family? Thank you for joining me and for listening to the Business Journals podcast. Connect with me at Davis Mutabwa. That's D-A-V-I-S-M-U-T-A-B-W-A. Connect with me on Facebook, on Twitter, on LinkedIn. And you can certainly find me at our podcast blog, businessjournals.com. And while you're there, remember to access all the show notes, a ton of free resources, killer training, and so much more. Love you guys. Thank you for joining me. Ciao.